what are some of the other big myths that are unhelpful? I think seven till seven is a big one. The idea that little ones should be sleeping 12 hours a night. And, you know, I talk all the time about how that's actually not evidence-based. When you look at very large population level data, most babies under the age of two only sleep somewhere between nine and 11 hours. So most of us are trying to put our babies to bed too early And then what happens is either we have an epic marathon length bedtime because they're simply not tired enough or they wake up numerous times in the early part of the evening because they just haven't got enough sleep pressure on board. That's that drive to be asleep when you've been awake for long enough. Or they wake up in the middle of the night, which is actual torture for two hours, which is fairly common. That's called a split night. Or they wake up really early. So, you know, if you're putting your little one to bed at half past six, thinking you're doing the right thing, and your little one wakes up at half four, they probably only needed 10 hours of sleep. But still, we feel like we've messed it up. And then we look for an early rising solution when actually that's not going to fix the problem because you can't make someone sleep longer than they're going to sleep anyway. So all you can do is redistribute the sleep so that it suits you better which isn't easy, but it can be done. But you certainly can't try and force somebody to get an extra two hours of sleep into their 24-hour day if they simply don't need it. I wish stuff like that was more widely known because it would take so much pressure off. I don't know. It's exhausting, isn't it? (laughs) What else are some of the unhelpful things? I think the misinterpretation of self-soothing, what self-soothing is, that little ones can get back to sleep if they become upset or dysregulated that you need to leave them to self-soothe and and by that people normally mean just leave them until they stop crying but there's a misunderstanding about what's actually happened and I'm not here to judge the people that have done or have contemplated or will do that but we need to understand what that actually is as opposed to what it isn't so what they haven't done is cognitively processed oh it's okay I'm fine all my basic needs are met I can just go to sleep because it's bedtime that's the myth that we're sold but actually what's happened is they go oh right okay well no one's coming right well I can't keep up crying for you know ages and ages and ages so actually I'm really exhausted I'm just actually gonna allow sleep to overtake me at this point or some babies have kind of a shutdown response where they just go to sleep because actually you cannot sustain crying and that stress response indefinitely. At some point, your system just gets overwhelmed and you do just go to sleep, but it's not necessarily a restful sleep. And as I often explain to people, you can go to sleep if you're incredibly stressed and anxious about something, but think about the quality of sleep that you get. If you wake up the next day and you know you went to sleep after a bad fight with your spouse or you've had a really difficult day at work and the situation's unresolved, your quality of sleep is not brilliant. So of course you can appear to be asleep, but we don't want to assume that that's necessarily restful, peaceful sleep. It's not necessarily that at all. Yeah, it's so interesting. What I kind of see in a lot of these messages that are out there as we've been talking about is this push for independence. And what was game-changing for me and how I totally changed my approach with my second was that I came to understand that 
independence comes actually from a total feeling of confidence, which when children are young is from dependence. And the difference between my oldest and my youngest is fascinating because with my youngest, you know, I wasn't who I am today. I was, you know, brought into to some extent, she has to learn to sleep independently. She has to, you know, I push that independence and still today I have to cuddle her to sleep because I think, you tell me, I think I pushed her to be independent with her sleep too quickly, thus leaving an insecurity. Whereas with my little one, I cuddled her, you know, and now she almost, she says, bye-bye, mummy. You know, and she's, you know, and I put her down and she's just got that base of dependence and confidence and trust. Do you see that this kind of push for independence too soon? This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're a regular listener, then you will know that I have had a lot of therapy in my life. I saw my first therapist when I was 23, and I'm really proud that whenever I've struggled in my life, I haven't pushed through alone. I've got help from exactly the right person at the right time. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online plus it's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist and if things aren't clicking you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime it could not be simpler there's no waiting rooms no battling traffic to get there you can choose a time that suits you and no endless searching for the right therapist so to learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com dot com slash motherkind that's better help h-e-l-p dot com slash motherkind back to the show I do and I definitely think that message that we create independent humans through meeting their needs for dependence first that's absolutely true do I think you can justifiably take responsibility I don't mean just you I mean anyone else who can relate to that not necessarily. I think you can probably, you and everyone else who feels like that can probably let that go because children are just inherently different. They have different personalities. Some children are naturally more anxious. You know, there are lots of confounding variables, dare I say it, not to sound too researchery, but you know, birth order, parental mental health, societal influences, peers, all sorts of things. So I don't think parents who have perhaps attempted some form of manipulation of independence levels can fully take the responsibility that their child is perhaps a bit more, I don't want to say needy, but you know what I mean? If they need you more for a longer period, I don't think we can necessarily attribute that all to what happened in the early weeks, months and years. And I think secure attachment is bigger than just what we do. I think it's who we are and the relationship that we have with our kids and how we connect and how we show up. I'm sure that you, me and thousands of other people all showed up in a bunch of different ways. The trouble is that we tend to remember the bits that we're most ashamed of, most wish we could go back and have a do-over with. I've forgiven myself for this, but I tried pick up, put down with my eldest. I was a broken woman by about eight or nine months. And we did this ridiculous charade of picking her up when she was crying and then putting her back down when she wasn't crying. And it was so ridiculous. I picked her up and put her back down about 140 times. It was just nuts. At one point in this ridiculous 
debacle that took a good two and a half hours of my evening. I just had a, an epiphany that this is ridiculous. And I just didn't do it. I just lay down with her, snuggled her up next to me and we both fell asleep. Sometimes I think when you see flashes of them needing you more, you can't help but question and worry that, you know, are they trying to make up for lost time? Are they needing something now because we didn't give it then? I think it's bigger than that. I think it's broader than that. I think kids are more resilient than that. I think that we need to forgive ourselves. 